Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Pot of Gold. I am Fernando Ramirez. He's Mike Berardino. Together we cover all things Notre Dame football for the South Bend Tribune and NDInsider.com. We thank you for joining us today. And before I get to Mike, we have another great podcast guest planned. Very special guest, former Notre Dame and Michigan recruiting coordinator, and now the VP of football operations for Dark Horse Sports Recruiting, Bob Kamel. Well, uh, thank you for joining the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing real well, real well. I appreciate you guys having me on. All good things Notre Dame, always. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Fernando. Um, yeah, I'm excited to have uh, Coach on here as well. Uh, we met the other day at uh, Adam Shibley's uh, tough uh, free clinic out there, and uh, and uh, Coach and I uh, talked about how much admiration he had for what happened out there. And I said, hey, let's come on the podcast. We got a lot more to talk about. And uh, Coach, just get, getting started with that, what did you think about the tough football camp? And obviously, Mike said it. It was a dollar donation for kids to come out and get uh, and get tips from Isaiah Foskey, um, get tips from Michael Mayer, from so many different Notre Dame players. Just what did, what was your takeaway from that camp? Well, what had happened was I uh, I do sports marketing for South Bend Orthopedics, which is the, are the doctors for, at Notre Dame. And Dr. Radigan called me, who is one of the team doctors, also played at Notre Dame and briefly for the Colts, and asked me uh, the Tuesday before if I would get involved. And I said, absolutely. And I, to be very honest with you, I was overwhelmed. Uh, Adam Shipley just did a phenomenal job. And uh, Adam Shipley and I uh, spoke before that, and I said uh, he and I were the first two portal guys because he, uh, he was at Michigan for four years. And I was at Michigan for nine years and 10 years, actually. And then we ended up both coming here. So we have something in common. Uh, I couldn't believe the organization. Uh, he is so enthusiastic. Uh, and Mike will tell you, he was everywhere. But one of the things that really impressed me was I've been to a, a myriad of events like this. A lot of times uh, players will come, whether they're uh, college athletes or whether professional athletes, sign a few autographs and leave. And that wasn't the case. The Notre Dame football players that came, and Mike, I think you'd agree with me, they were totally invested. They, I mean, they coached. They coached, they coached from when the thing started until the event ended. It, it was nonstop. I was so proud of them, and I mentioned this to Mike as I was leaving. Um, I, I'm always proud of Notre Dame football players, but that they really enhanced my pride. It, it, you know, a Saturday afternoon during, you know, during a downtime, and probably 20 of them showed up and spent so much time with the kids. But the one, uh, Fernando and, and Mike, the one picture that stayed in my mind, if you will, I was down at the end of the field, and one of the young guys was struggling. And, you know, he was having, you know, he was a really, a really a young, and Mike would say, there were a lot of really young kids there. And one of our players, and I wish I could would have got his name right away, he, he took down, he came down to a knee, so he would have eye contact with this young man and just looked him in the eye and, and, and embraced him. And 
everything is going to be okay. You're going to do a great job and this and that. And they, all of a sudden, the kid kind of perked up. They gave a fist bump, and the young guy was on his way. But I thought, what a what a memory for these kids. What a memory for that young guy. And I mean, when I saw one of our guys take a knee and get face-to-face with, with that young kid, it almost brought a tear to my eye. It was, wonder, it was beautiful. It was a wonderful event. And I think we had like over, uh, I think there were over uh, 200 young men. that 200, were absolutely. Yep. And about uh, 31 Notre Dame active players, Coach. So uh, pretty amazing stuff. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the Michigan connection you have with, uh, with Adam. And, of course, we were talking recently, uh, Notre Dame fans very excited about the recent commitment of C.J. Carr, uh, a five-star quarterback uh, going into his junior year at uh, – uh, up in, or just outside of Ann Arbor. And uh, that's Lloyd Carr's grandson. You were on the same staff as Lloyd Carr, know Lloyd Carr very well. You would have known Jason Carr, I believe, uh, uh, CJ's dad. Um, how, uh, what was your reaction to that, uh, that, uh, that a Michigan man would end up sending his grandson, uh, seeing his grandson uh, commit to Notre Dame when Michigan definitely wanted him? And um, uh, what was it like, that visual of seeing Lloyd with a Notre Dame hat? Uh, a bit of irony. <laughs> I would have to say that young Carr's grandfather wasn't the biggest Notre Dame fan that I knew, but it's a credit to, to uh, Lloyd Carr, and it's a credit to Jason, uh, who was a quarterback at, at Michigan, to let young Carr make this decision and do what he thought was best for him and do send him to a school where he would be comfortable And I think it's a win-win. I think it's a win uh, for the young man. I think it's a win uh, uh, for the University of Notre Dame. And I say this for a lot of reasons. If it was a different position, maybe a place where there's two guards, two tackles, on and on, multiple players at a position, I think it would have been a different deal. But I think for Carr to come here, I think it was a great decision for him. It was a great family decision because I think it could, could really have gotten complicated, uh, so to speak, as time as time moved on. So I'm happy for the young man. I'm happy for his family. And I'm certainly happy for the University of Notre Dame. What about the dynamic coach of, uh, you know, having been a recruiting coordinator at, at both of those schools, going, uh, playing that card for a guy who's a 2024 class member? Uh, CJ is making it clear he's not going to reclassify and move up into the class of 23 recruiting-wise. And Dante Moore right down the road in Detroit, also a five-star, also very much on Notre Dame's radar. And the national prognosticators all along had been saying, well, Notre Dame is in the driver's seat. Maybe not so much now. Notre Dame had almost its, uh, they went with the, the, they played the card that they could play first. We don't know how they truly feel about those two guys, but uh, it's got, it's got to be hard to imagine that both will end up at Notre Dame, or do you think that still might happen? Well, I, as I watched this young man from Detroit, um, he seems to be uh, doing a bit of traveling, if you will. <laughs> yes. And so I really don't know where he's at with everything, and I don't know how where his mindset is right now. But regardless of where he goes, there's going to be competition. And I, I, I think that, um, especially at the quarterback position, wherever you go, there's going to be competition. And if he shies away from the competition or if he enhances the competition, that's going to be all, you know, kind of be all up to him. 
so where he's at right now with his mindset, I don't know. But I, I do know he was down at Texas A&M. And, um, and I think he was out west uh, also at Oregon, was it? That's right. And so, you know, I don't know where that where that whole deal is going. I will say this. Uh, I'm glad somebody else is doing this right now. <laughs> because it has changed radically, just radically. But, uh, you know, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, you're listening to the Pot of Gold. We have former Notre Dame and Michigan recruit coordinator Bob Kamel on the show. Bob, it, it seems like you you have taken a glance at my notes because that's what I was going to ask you next. How do you feel like the recruiting game has really changed in the last 20, 30 years? How, how do you feel like it's changed? I can answer that question um, with this fact. When I was the recruiting coordinator at Notre Dame, I had a secretary. Her name was Kay Harity, hardest working person maybe in a department. And I had two student helpers. So that's how things have changed. I mean, when you think about social media and the size of the departments right now, and then, you know, when I, I still have friends that are in the business, I, I, Dave Bloquin at Notre Dame is a great friend. I, I, I love David. I talk to David from time to time and uh, he's not actually as involved in the recruiting process as he was before, but we talk about a myriad of things. He, he's a total class act. I mean, when you take the portal and you take NIL and all these other things, you have to have staff that are this size. Some of these, some of these uh, recruiting offices have, you know, up to 30, 30 people. But the management of that, you know, managing a recruiting board at one time was a lot simpler than it is right now. I mean, because of the portal, how many spots did we save for the portal? I don't know how invested Notre Dame is going to get in the portal, but even at the same time, it's 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 monumental. It's overwhelming, and also the time that the NCAA permits coaches to be out on the road now—they've uh, shortened the time of the dead period and all that. I it it's it's totally totally different, and a lot of it is comes down to technology and uh, and to social media. Bob, it feels oh, just real quick. It feels like uh, times have even changed. I mean, I feel like there used to be dead periods in sports, and now it just feels like everything's twenty four seven. Does it feel like that with recruiting? I mean, twenty four seven, three sixty five. It feels like there's never a downtime for coaches. It feel and and recruits. It feels like they're always on the move. Well, I, that that's you know basically my my point, Fernando. I. I I don't know. I mean, when is the downtime for coaches? They are yeah. always gone. They are always on the road. And that and that has really, really changed radically from, from the days when I was a recruiting coordinator. What about, uh, we're talking with uh, Bob Kamel, the former uh, recruiting coordinator at uh, Michigan and Notre Dame, a man who's worked for the likes of Bo Schembechler, Lou Holtz, Lee Corso, Bob Davey. Uh, so many great stories, so much perspective, and we're and we're we're, we're right. We're, what's that? Stop right after Lou Holtz. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, well, um, this idea that um, Marcus Freeman has said right from his introductory press conference that he would be the lead recruiter on every player, that your head coach would be the lead recruiter. That's so foreign to me because you always think of the coach being the head coach is the closer. You save him for last. I can only, you know, Marcus must have cloned himself by now. He's 36 years old, ton of energy, but he seems to be taking that to heart. What are your concerns as we talk about the hours these guys put in across the staff, 
But when you're head coach with all the additional responsibilities, the booster conversation and maintenance, the, the uh, faculty interaction, uh, the media responsibilities, that, that Marcus Freeman would be expected to answer a recruit's text, some 16-year-old, 15-year-old text uh, to make sure that he's engaging with that kid. Um, it just strikes me as a recipe for burnout. I would be concerned about that. What do you think? Mike, I can answer that by saying this. The day that I had the honor, and I say the honor, I don't say that lightly, to come to Notre Dame and be called a Notre Dame football coach. When I walked into Coach Olson's office and we had our first meeting, and one of the things I told him was this, the pack travels at the speed of the lead wolf. And when the head coach sets a certain standard, everybody has to fall in with that standard because he is the lead wolf. And if you're going to travel with that pack and he's leading the pack and the pack's going quick, you better go along with him or you're going to find yourself doing something else someplace. So my hat, my hat is off to him that he, and I'm not surprised when I think of his background and what he's done and, and um, uh, for him to be as engaged as he is, really sends a message out to the Notre, not only to his assistant coaches, but the Notre Dame community at large that how important the recruiting process is. So, and he has a lot of energy, obviously. I only know him to one time to shake hands with him, but having watched, still being in South Bend, watching everything that he's doing, uh, it's highly impressive. It's funny that Mike says that he clones himself because he is all over the place. Uh, but what what are you, um, what are your... What, from your point of view, what do you what are your expectations of this year's uh, Notre Dame team? Now Brian Kelly's gone after uh, being here for so many years. Now it's the Marcus Freeman show, and and uh, what, what just what are your, some of your expectations for this year's team? I think it'll be an improved football team, and Fernando, I um, take it a step farther. Everybody's talking about the Ohio State game. Everybody's talking about the Ohio State game. How, how is that game going to be? Is it going to be an awakening, you know, as to where we're at as a football team and everything like that? But, you know, I think the one thing we have to consider is this, okay? First of all, uh, coach, uh, the head coach at, um, at, at Ohio State, um, help me out here, guys. Ryan Day. Ryan, Ryan Day. Day. I was glancing at my notes. Ryan Day has been there for like four years. Yeah. This is Marcus Freeman's first game. They're going into the horseshoe. Ryan Day is, I think, 34 and 4 at the present time. I this game will not define Marcus Freeman. It will not define the entire season whatsoever. And I think when you when people right now are putting such an emphasis on this, I disagree with that. What I would like to see from in that game is this: that the game is a well-managed game. There's few penalties. It's well-coached offensively, well-coached defensively, and we have good special teams. We come out of that game being able to answer those questions, communication and everything like that. When the game's over, let the cards fall where they may, then we go to the next game. But please, Notre Dame people, do not judge Marcus Freeman and his time at Notre Dame by this first game at Ohio State. We want to be sound. We want to have good communication. We want to have good calls. We're going to have good special teams and to go into that environment, hostile environment, your first game. And then, you know, you get the other factor, the, the fact that that Marcus was an outstanding athlete at, at Ohio State University. There, you know, there's a lot of subplots going in there. 
Uh, but by far, this will not this will not define Marcus Freeman as a football coach at Notre Dame, or not define where this football program is going. I wanted to ask, Coach. It's a it's an excellent point, and also there's you know there's Clemson on that schedule. There's the USC game at the end. There's 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 plenty of uh, work to be done beyond that. And of course, Ohio State just doesn't lose at home very often. Now, Notre Dame's going to be a two touchdown underdog. It would appear going in, if, and uh, so kind of gravy if they can come away with the upset. But when they come back home, Notre Dame and and Marcus Freeman did coach the Fiesta Bowl, but he's never been the head coach for a home game. And one of the first changes he made and announced this spring is the return of Mass at the Basilica before the game on game day uh, and that Marshall home game on, on Saturday, September 10th is going to include that dynamic. Seems very popular among program followers, uh, among the former players I talked to before the blue gold game. They all like the idea. You would have experienced that sort of thing, right? Uh, that, that goes back to the, uh, the coach Holtz days. Um, what do you remember about that uh, as, as part of the itinerary on game day? Are there any concerns about it being, uh, uh, you know, almost too emotional or, or is it only a positive? Mike, I will tell you, I think it was one of the most ridiculous decisions in the Kelly era was to eliminate mass on game day. I have no idea why he did it. Walking from the Goog and walking to the library and then coming down to the, to the stadium is nothing, nothing, nothing like the experience of walking out of the Basilica and walking to Mass. I, I, why he did that, I don't know. I, I, it's not a distraction. It was not a distraction for national championship teams, was it? <laughs> and I, I, I can answer this question with this. I, don't, I doubt, and all these teams have a walk before a game, and everything like that. There's nothing like this in college football. Absolutely nothing. And, you know, some people had an um, opinion of Jim Coletto as a football coach, and those were difficult times under Davey. We could do a whole, whole show about that. But Jim Coletto and I were friends before we get, before he came to Notre Dame. Jim is a great man. He, he, he's a good football coach. The guys that played for him um, – Loved him. They love him till this day. They still ask me about him. I felt his hands were tied when he came here. Um, and but I'm kind of I'm, what I'm trying to say is this. He asked me. He said, "How is that going to be going from the basilica to church um, that day?" And I said, "Jim, I can't describe it to you. You'll have to experience it." Now here's a veteran coach. Jim didn't come here as a GA. Jim had been a veteran coach. We start walking together side by side from the Basilica. And as we approach the stadium, I look at Jim and there are tears rolling down his face. And again, this is a guy who's been around. And we got, we got into the stadium and I looked at him and he said, Bob, I, I don't even know what to say. Why we got away from that is completely beyond me. There are just certain things you don't mess with when you come here to coach. And that was the thing that should not have been messed with, in my opinion. Talking with Bob Camell, who knows the ins and outs uh, of college football at, at every level, position coach, defensive coach, offensive coach, recruiting coordinator. And how about that recruiting piece, coach, uh, uh, as a recruit who's welcomed in for the game day experience? 
only Notre Dame offering that aspect of pregame mass. And obviously not all players that Notre Dame's going to recruit are going to be Catholics. Many of them might not be religious at all, but seeing that level of uh, intensity uh, of faith of all the things that Notre Dame emphasizes, do you think that might uh, tilt the, uh, the table just a little bit uh, for Notre Dame on those kids and getting some game day commitments? Well, you mentioned some of the players are Catholic. Some of the players, uh, I mean, are from multiple faiths. But it's not, how can I describe it? When you get inside there and you're together, and it's not in the, in the, uh, the basilica at large. Behind the altar of the basilica, there's what they call our ladies' chapel. And it's very intimate. You're side by side. You're, it's close. It's tight. You, the sense, it's not even that, um, it, it's, it's, it's more than just a presence. It's a feeling. You feel it all around you. It's a time to come together. And then when it's over and you walk out into, the, into this beautiful campus, and as soon as you walk out, there's people everywhere. And then when you, as you get closer, it gets tighter and the band is playing. And I, I, hey, look, I mean, if I'm a young recruit and I have an opportunity to walk, walk with the Notre Dame football team through that experience, I'm going to tell you, it's good. It, it could be a, it, it could be a difference maker, Coach, regardless of what your faith is. Coach, I, I mean, I didn't grow up in in South Bend or around Notre Dame or any of that, but I just felt like when I took the job that there's something different about Notre Dame than there is about other universities, or there's something special about it, something unique. Uh, can you put your finger on what that's like and what you remember when you first got to Notre Dame? Well, you have to consider my background. Uh, I grew up in an ethnic neighborhood in Chicago. I grew up Catholic. Uh, I went to Fenwick High School, which is a huge theater school to, uh, to Notre Dame. One of my very first football coaches at Fenwick was John Latner, who was a Heisman Trophy winner and, and, and an icon in, in uh, Notre Dame football history. Now, I was not a guy destined to go to Fenwick. Fenwick guys were mostly from the suburbs. My dad had a restaurant and bar in Chicago. I took the subway to school, okay? But when I got to Fenwick and I started to sense, you know, kind of like what Mr. Latner was all about, I was, you know, a Notre Dame fan from, let me, let, let me, let me tell you another story, okay? Do you mind? Oh, no, go right ahead. Okay. You, you're, you're the man. So my dad had a bar in Chicago, okay? Well, on Sunday evening, there was a television show called Notre Dame Replay. There was no ESPN. There was no replay. There was, you know, all the Notre Dame games were not on television at that time. And in the bar, in the very back of the, the bar, there was an area where there was a like a television where you could watch sporting thing, stuff. And he would line up chairs there, okay? And I didn't hang out at the bar when I was a young kid, but <laughs> no. well, actually I did. <laughs> no, uh, see, I attended bar when I was 14 or 15 years old. My dad, I, it, what a way to grow up that way was. Me and Babe Ruth both grew up upstairs from our dad's bars. Uh, that's why I'm a Yankee fan, maybe. <laughs> but I would sit there when the uh, Notre Dame replay was on, and I was mesmerized. I couldn't wait. I was so excited. And then my dad had shut the, the uh, jukebox off, and any of the customers that were there, they would. We'd line up kind of like in a 
you know, in the chairs and, and watch Notre Dame replay. And that's where my Notre Dame, my Notre Dame roots go back to, if you will. So coming to Notre Dame, from my background, I always had this, you know, this feeling about Notre Dame. And then when I became a high school coach at Fenwick, the freshman games were, uh, started out as the freshman coach were at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning. When those games are over, I got into my car, uh, stayed with the speed limits, believe me, on the tollway, <laughs> got to Notre Dame without a ticket, okay, no ticket. But you could always get a ticket if you get there. Somebody's going to sell you a ticket to get there and watch Era Parsegian, Era Parsegian coach. Watch Era Parsegian coach and every book, Tom Pagna. I read all those books cover to cover. Well, life goes through many uh, twists and turns. And my first college coaching opportunity came uh, as a graduate assistant coach at the University of Michigan under Bo. But here, this is a couple of things that people don't understand. I got to come to Notre Dame because of Bo. I became very, very close to Bo. I was his graduate assistant coach before I came back as a full-time coach. He was like, he was like an older brother, a second dad to me. But he and Coach Holtz were very, very close. And when he retired, Bo retired, my, um, my life changed radically. And one day he called me in and, you know, we talked about this and everything. And he said, you know, Bob, Coach Holtz has been calling me about you for about the past four years. And I told him, as long as I'm head coach at Michigan, you are not going to Notre Dame. But now, now things have changed for you. I can see that. Uh, and I have a, uh, my family is very ensconced into uh, Michigan football tradition. I had two brother-in-laws that were all Americans at Michigan. Uh, my, my, my father-in-law, uh, Don Dufek, uh, was the uh, MVP in the 1951 Rose Bowl. I loved him. Another Chicago guy. Uh, so, you know, I had a lot of Michigan in me. And, but Bo said, Bob, this would be what's best for you. I talked to my family about it. And the other thing was, uh, my mom still lived in the same house that I grew up in. My dad was deceased. I had no brothers or sisters. My mom was getting on in her age. And that was the one thing Bo and I talked about. Hour and 15 minutes from my mom, hour and 15 minutes from the neighborhood I grew up in. So coming here, but even with that being said, I remember one day at practice, like one of my very first days at practice, we were out on the practice field. It was a gorgeous, a gorgeous fall day. And I was talking to Coach Olson. As I looked over his shoulder, I saw the dome against the most beautiful fall sky you can imagine. And I had to like almost pinch myself. What am I doing here? How did I get here? And it, 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 it was overwhelming. It, it just was completely overwhelming. It was the greatest, one of the greatest days of my life. One of the saddest days of my life when I was told was that I was no longer going to be on the Notre Dame football staff. And to be honest with you, I don't know if I've ever recovered from that day, from that standpoint. How did, uh, how did that news get relayed to you? <laughs> I, it, sometime we'll have to talk about that. It's but still, it was, still too painful. Well, I cried my eyes out, and I'm not ashamed to say that. You know, I cried my eyes out. But one thing, um, it, it really didn't have to be. Have to be. So, but anyway, we'll, we can talk about that another time. Yeah. Um, I don't know um, 
you know, uh, how much you want to get into it. But uh, everybody at that time around the program was kind of swept into the sp a spotlight they didn't want with the Joe Moore lawsuit, the age discrimination lawsuit that and nobody came out of that feeling too good or the university certainly took its hits in that period. Um, now there's a Joe Moore award uh, that Notre Dame linemen have won before as the best offensive line in the country and have a good chance to do so again now that Harry Heastand is back. But um, what's uh, what's the proper way to look back at that period almost a quarter century ago in terms of the, the hits that overall that uh, uh, did that have a ripple effect on the program that maybe took a full decade to recover from if you just look at the way things kind of went? I would describe it as dysfunctional. Uh, if you ever speak to Harry Heastand, Harry was one of Joe's most loyal and he most revered um, people Joe was in Harry's life. When I would go to see Harry from time to time, the first thing we talked about was Joe. Make no mistake about it, Joe loved Notre Dame. He loved Notre Dame. What happened to him, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, was unfortunate. It was very unfortunate. Uh, I, till this day, uh, it, it, it was hard for me to see the iconic coach Lou Holtz walk out of that office and Bob Davey walk in. And uh, Bob Davey marked me early on as a Lou guy. And, um, and I was a Lou guy, and I'll always be a Lou guy. Um, Bob, just um, last thing from me. Uh, what was what was what's some advice that you would give to to the kids, um, the athletes? I mean, what's maybe some advice that you gave at the tough football camp uh, to the young, the, the next generation of young athletes as they come to camp now? Yes, or yeah, like the next generation of young athletes, and and uh, and just what is some uh, some advice that you can give them? I would give them the same advice that I would give to any new coaching hire. Never let a day go by, whether you're an incoming young man or whether you're a new assistant coach or a co current coach, never let a day go by that you don't understand and embrace the opportunity you have to coach or play in this football program. Not a day. Enjoy every single day. Respect every single day. Respect the people that have gone before you. And not one day say, hey, I'm blessed to be here at Notre Dame and be a player or be a coach. Bob, um, I want to ask you, too, uh, it's been 11 years since you did something incredibly courageous and meaningful. And I wonder uh, if you can update us on it at all. But uh, a man who also knew what it was like to work or to play at Michigan to coach at Notre Dame was Corwin Brown. And, you know, people listening may not remember, maybe they remember it well, but uh, I, my read on it from looking back at those stories is, is um, you 
contributed to uh, uh, diffusing a very dangerous situation and, and uh, actually assisted the local police. And, and you're, you're, you used a bullhorn, correct me if I'm wrong, to, to yell out to Corwin, be a Michigan man today, step up to your obligations. And basically, uh, you, you, you were a citizen uh, and a friend and a mentor there. You never stopped coaching. Uh, was that maybe one of the most meaningful and important moments of coaching that you ever did? Mike, with all, all respect, that was improperly uh, reported. I was not the guy on the bullhorn. Oh. No, that was uh, that was a sports psychologist that had driven all the way from Ann Arbor. Oh. But it was there. I was involved. Uh, my communication with Corwin, though, was not on, was not on that bullhorn. Corwin's father-in-law was Billy Harris, and he was our secondary coach at um, – at Michigan. And Corwin is married to Missy, who was uh, um, Billy's uh, daughter. I was actually uh, golfing and uh, the county cops came and got me and, and I went there and it was, uh, it was sad. It was sad. And it was, it was sad. And it was, um, I don't want to say out of the movies, but it was the area was cordoned off. Uh, there were police everywhere. There were snipers up in windows uh, adjoining, and and I put my arms around Missy, his wife, and Missy actually had babysat for our three daughter Ann and I, our three daughters, and she was family. And and Corwin, I was involved in recruiting Corwin out of uh, out of Chicago. And it was, it was hard. It was very, very hard for me. And the way it ended that way, when he finally walked out, which I really don't want to talk about, we've stayed in touch uh, since then. Um, I can't say on a regular basis, but I will tell you, when I was driving home that day, I had to stop and pull alongside the road and gather myself up. Because here was this young man that I had known from the time he was 17 years old and I loved him. You know, when I say I have three daughters and I have thousands of sons, Corwin was one of my, one of my sons and, and, you know, another Chicago guy, we used to joke about that all the time and to see what he went through. And, and that on that day, it was hard. I mean, it, it was really hard. And, and I pray for Corwin all the time and I pray for his family. Uh, two of his daughters now are playing tennis at, at, at the university of Michigan. And, and, uh, Missy, uh, his wife, is still involved in the tennis community here in, in South Bend and maybe one of the most courageous people that I have ever met. She's been, she is just unbelievable. I mean, you talk about tough. She, she is just, I, I can't even put into words uh, the respect and admiration I have for her. She's never wavered, not not one single time. Uh, Bob, uh, Mike, do you have anything else for Bob? Or oh, I have a million questions, but we've taken too much of his time, <laughs> and and every every answer has been beautiful and, and memorable, and and uh, just a pleasure to uh, to have him on, have Bob, and we'd hope to have him back. We'll have him back uh, if he'll if he'll come on uh, as we get to, into the season because uh, the perspective is priceless. Well, if I if I I can just say this. Um, I never stopped rooting for Notre Dame. 
I've always loved Notre Dame, but I have not been to a game since the day I left. I watch all the games on television, root for Notre Dame, and Fernando and Mike, I've become the best tailgater. So <laughs> the game starts, I come home and put the TV on. I can tell you that um, I'm reborn. I'm going to talk to Ron Paulus. I'm going to try to get some tickets. I am going to Notre Dame football games, and I'm going to sit in the stands. And when Coach Freeman and Tommy Reese are there, I'm going to yell, throw the ball to the tight end, would you please? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they will. They will with that guy. Look word. at that. Bre- breaking news on Pot of Gold. Bob Kamel will be uh, in attendance this year at a Notre Dame football game, and you'll be cheering on I'm Michael born, Mayer. <laughs> I'm reborn because I believe in Marcus Freeman for a lot of reasons. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. It, it seems like a lot of people are uh, are behind uh, Marcus, former players, uh, former coaches. It just seems like he's really done. Uh, he's really put his stamp um on uh on this program uh even before he really gets started so that's uh good to see but bob we appreciate you joining pot of gold thank you so much for jumping on with us and like mike said you're welcome back anytime we can't wait to have you during the season to, and uh we might have you the the week after you go to your first notre dame game uh, there you so go i like it yeah, we'll definitely get your perspective, and and hopefully Michael Mayer has ten catches and hundred and fifty yards thanks to you. Thank you. God bless you guys, and go Irish. <laughs> Mike, I feel like every time we have a guest on, I learn so much more. And like I said, like I told Bob Camel, I'm I'm an outsider coming in, I, but I know that Notre Dame is a special program. It's a special university and man every time i hear more and more stories every time we talk to more and more guests i just feel like i learned so much more about what this program is all about yeah and and i think anybody we hope our listeners do as well i mean we're trying to to uh find people with interesting perspectives and uh, who have been right there on the ground floor whether it's uh uh jerome bettis or malik zaire brandon wimbush um you know it's been it's been fun uh, we have a lot more to come here as we get through the summer months um but I thought with June being such a heavy time for recruiting and, and the yeah. CJ Carr commitment, um, it just made uh, a lot of sense to, uh, to have somebody who knows the, uh, the ins and outs and has the war stories from the recruiting game as the coordinator at both Michigan and Notre Dame. So we thank Bob Camel again for coming on. What, what have you been uh, writing? I saw you had a story uh, with the, the uh, several former Notre Dame players uh, out there in the California NFL teams uh, very high on Marcus Freeman. Yeah, so I went to Rams camp. Uh, well, last Monday I went to uh, the Chargers had a, the Los Angeles Chargers had a golf tournament to help with um, to help raise money for Children's Hospital. And Drew Tranquil and Alohi Gilman were both there. Surpri- a surprise that nobody who knows that they're both no- former Notre Dame players. And I talked to both of them. Both of them said, "Yeah, no, we're here to help." whatever we can do and tranquil and Alohi have always been those guys that whenever the chargers need somebody to step up those two guys are always willing to do whatever it takes for charity and and help them out and, and both of them just had glowing remarks about uh marcus freeman and and drew said he's like i had his number from when he tried to recruit me at purdue and he's like and this is years and years ago and i just thought maybe i'll text him and say hey congratulations he didn't expect a text back and he said he got a text back and that him and uh him and and marcus jumped on the phone and that they just reminisced and talked about old times and about how 
Marcus wants him to come out and and help with some of the linebackers, and uh, and and Alohi, same thing. Alohi was there for for uh, the pro day, and and he said that he felt welcomed again. And and then um, uh, I went to Rams, and and I talked to Ben uh, Scor- uh, Scor- I can't say his name. Uh, ben Skoranek. Skoranek, Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for the assist. You're Magic Johnson. <laughs> Uh, um, and I talked to Ben and, and he just said that Marcus came out to LA after they had won the Super Bowl and that he's like, Hey, I'd love to have dinner. And he's like, I had dinner with Marcus and I was just blown away by the kind of guy that he was. And it was just, uh, it was good to, to get to talk to those former guys and, and see what their opinions are of Marcus. And hopefully, um, all three of them said that they want to be guests on the pot of gold. So hopefully down the line, uh, we can get each of them, uh, on the pod and, and, uh, It'd be a good. They'd be all good guests because because uh, they're all very they're all very excited. They're all very knowledgeable about Notre Dame football. Oh, those would be good gets, and it's uh, we're counting on you, Fernando. We're counting on you to <laughs> to as our West Coast bureau to complete this process and get them on the pot of gold. And and you know then we'll ask them uh, everything we can think of. That'll be that'll be fun. Um, remember. You can subscribe to NDInsider.com for $4.99 a month. That gets you access to all of our stories that are subscriber only, our coverage of Notre Dame football uh, and beyond. And, of course, this baseball program uh, is out at the College World Series, basketball coming up in a few months, um, anything. But especially what we focus on is the Notre Dame football program that, uh, as Bob Kamel reminded you no matter what happens at ohio state uh, it's got a lot to look forward to and uh, we'll, we'll always be relevant always um so yeah for 4.99 a month uh you know the videos that we post there uh our live chats that i do these podcasts and uh, we uh, invite you also to follow us on twitter uh at mike berardino and uh, what's your Twitter handler, handle, Fernando? <laughs> I'm at Real F Ramirez. So, yeah, definitely some good stuff coming up, especially as this is known kind of as the quiet period in a sense, but it's going to start picking up uh, pretty soon. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and, and we're going to have a lot of good stuff uh, coming up pretty soon. Um, so he's Mike Berendino. I'm Fernando Ramirez. Thank you so much again for checking out pot of gold um again we're gonna have some good stuff coming up thank you guys so much for checking it out and like mike said ndinsider.com 499 that's a lot cheaper than netflix cheaper than uh, a lot of the streaming services out there so don't forget to check out our stuff and uh have a great rest of your guys's week and we appreciate you checking out the pot of gold <laughs>